0: We continue this morning in Galatians chapter 5, so if you have your Bibles, uh, you may want to open to Galatians 5. We're kind of picking up this question today, if we continually teach that your salvation is not of you in any way and is completely of the grace of God, don't we run the risk of removing motivation from people to be and to live holy lives. And so, it's kind of been the question that my care group, is: we meet, you know, every week care groups meet, and when we come to this issue of, hey, listen, you know you can't win God's favor, right? And we all say, yeah, we know that, but shouldn't, shouldn't we be wanting to please Him? In fact, there's a great quote, I don't normally quote from, from people, but, I like this quote from Tim Keller. Christians are freed from the law as a way to win merit from God, but we are not freed from the law as a way to please God. And in fact, he goes on to say, that obligation is increased. So we are obligated to want to please God and to see the law as a a teaching point showing us the heart of God and how to walk with him and know him. But that does bring up the the question for all of us saying, hey man, aren't we going to make people too free? Aren't we going to tell our kids that salvation is all of God and they're going to grow up and say, well, if it's of all of God, then I can live however I want to and won't that become a license to them to actually live a completely godless kind of life and tell themselves, it's okay. It's all of God. I don't have to worry about this. And finally, Paul gets to this point in this Book today where he's saying, guys, you don't have to worry about that. And I'm going to tell you why you don't have to worry about that at all in the church. This is not only a question in the, the, the hearts of the church. It's a, heart, it's a question in the heart of you, too. And it's a question in the heart of me. If I don't have rules to follow, won't I run away from God? I can remember very clearly as a young believer thinking that if there were not uh, structures around me to keep me from sinning and if there were not people around me to keep me from sinning and if there were not rules around me to keep me from sinning, I could not imagine being in a position of having the choice to sin or not to sin and to choose not to sin. I couldn't imagine it. And I terrified myself because I thought, how? Am, Am I even a believer? Is this real? And by the way, it's the question that the whole world has. Because everybody outside of Christianity says, isn't Christianity just like every other world religion? And aren't they all just trying to do the same thing? They're trying to conform people to some outward standard. They're trying to make us all a little nicer and a little bit more moral. And isn't whatever higher power you worship going to accept in the end anybody that was kind of sincere? No. No, it's not going to happen that way. And this passage answers all that question. It answers the question for the church. It answers the question that I'm having in my heart. And it answers the question for the world around us that they would lay against the church. And so we're going to dig in. Galatians chapter 5. And let's read together verses 13 through 24. When I say together, I mean, I'll read it. You follow along. Right. We, we could all read it together. but uh, And speaking of that, in a couple of weeks uh, three weeks, we'll transition into the English Standard Version. So, if you missed the memo on that, now might be the time to get on uh, Crossway.com or wherever you buy your Bibles and uh, pick yourself up a copy of the English Standard Version. Today, we're in the NIV 1984 edition. Galatians, or just Pew Bible, or just read whatever you've got in front of you. All right, all right. Galatians 5, starting at verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law. So those who belong to Christ, excuse me, those who belong to Christ, uh, Christ Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So Lord, help us understand freedom today and understand what it is and understand what it's what it's not. Help us to do honor to your word, and help us to glorify your son, and help us to be led by your spirit, because there's nothing else that matters. It's the workings of Christ that is everything. Jesus is our life. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just throw it out there right off the bat. If it is true that I live this life where I say I am free to do what I want, but I am not glorifying God with the way that I live, uh, then then I'm I'm falling into one of three erring categories. I'm either an an immature believer where I say because it's all up to God, uh, you know, I don't have to live a certain way I can do whatever I want. Uh, th- that would be immaturity. I mean, Hebrews chapter 12 says, if you are in Christ, you must be holy. Be holy for I am holy. And so, no, there's, there, there's not a room in the church to say, well, I'm, I'm in Christ, but I'm not following after Christ closely. I'm not holy with the way I live. And, and so maybe you're an immature believer and you need some teaching to understand uh, the extent of where holiness should be seen in your life. Now, can I just say before I move on to the next category, I kind of doubt you're in this category. If you were a new believer in a foreign country and you didn't have the Word of God translated, I could get my brain wrapped around the fact that, ah, they just don't know yet. Honestly, for us in the U.S., I don't buy into that very much. It's possible that you're an immature believer that needs teaching. I doubt it. Second category. Maybe that you are a a rebellious believer. That is, you're in the faith, but you have have asked for the benefits of the Father, and now you're trying to spend those benefits in a far-off country, like Luke 15's prodigal son. Are Are you a believer? Are you a son? Yeah, you're a son. But you're, you're saying, look, I, I'm out here living how I want to. I know I'm a believer, but, you know, I'm just going my own way. And if that's the case, you don't need teaching. You need chastening. And by the way, every son whom God loves will be chastened. And so if you're this rebellious person saying, yeah, I'm a believer. Uh, I, I know that I'm far from God but uh, he is my God, and, and, and I'm, I trust him, then you're waiting for God to drop the discipline, boom, on your life. And you know it's coming. Okay, so don't be surprised when it comes. That's exactly what's going to happen. Remember, when the prodigal son was in the far-off country, he went through this whole thing where he said, oh, I'm not worthy to be called a, a son any longer, and he rehearsed this whole thing. And, and, and so if you are a rebellious son, can I just tell you something? You probably don't feel like a son. You probably don't feel like, yeah, I'm in Christ. You probably feel far from him, and that's right, that you should feel far from him. When the prodigal son rehearsed all the reasons why he didn't feel like a son, remember he rehearsed them after his father ran to him and held him close and said, stop talking. I'm going to kill the fatted calf and have a party because you're home. Maybe this is your category. And if that's the case, you should expect some pretty serious discipline in your life. Third category, not a believer. Been around the church your whole life. You've heard spiritual things. You've heard spiritual teachings. You know what is expected, but you just have never devoted yourself or committed yourself to Christ. You have believed your whole life that it's about this external thing that you can do and you can produce. But while you uh, can't produce it and you see you can't produce it, you're over here and you're denying the workings of the Spirit in your life and you're saying no to God. And so what you need is not teaching and you don't need a chastening. You need conversion. You need God to have mercy on you and bring you into a saving relationship with his Son. Right, So that may be where you're at. But if you're going to be where the Spirit is leading today, if you are led by the Spirit, then I want you to see that our freedom is going to produce in us some key things. It's going to produce service for others and not secret sin. Do you see that? You, my brothers, were called to be free. This, This ultimate freedom is... You made yourself the rebellious hater of God, but He has brought you near. That's freedom. He didn't make you live up to the demands of the law. He sent His Son to live up to the demands of the law in your place. He didn't make you die for your sin. He has crucified His own Son so that His Son has died in your place for your sins. He knew that you would not have the power to be raised again. Sorry, I'm having a little problem with this thing, so I keep adjusting it. It gets louder and quieter. You're going to have to deal with it. So instead, His Son has, has made us close to him and he has lived up to all the demands of the law. And so uh, our freedom is ultimate freedom. It is the real freedom we need. So you have freedom to forgive others because you've been forgiven. You have freedom to not demand that others perform because you don't have to perform. You have freedom to have peace because you know that even though you don't know what's going on in the next step of your life, that God does know what's going on in the next step of your life. So I say, uh, excuse me, you, my brothers, were called to be free. That phrase, were called, it's passive. That means you didn't call yourselves, you didn't sign up. God called you. He took the initiative in your life. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. So again, we're back to that question. Won't we accept all sorts of stuff? Won't we have all sorts of sin in the church if we teach our kids and all of our people that they, don't, they can't earn the grace of God or they can't earn the, the forgiveness of their sins? He's saying no. Because this is spirit, spirit-led freedom. And when we have spirit-led freedom, it's limited freedom. It's freedom that purposefully limits and does not indulge all sorts of gray area things that we could approve of, that we could say, this is for me, this is my time, I can do this, right? But the reality is that's not going to happen in the church where the Spirit is bringing freedom. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So, let me just remind you. What this freedom is all about, one more time, okay, we talked about being free from the wrath of God and and having the righteousness of Jesus, but he has been unpacking this kind of one verse at a time. So if we go back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2, he's saying uh, if we are led by the Spirit, the Spirit then lives in us. Galatians 3, 2. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And he's saying here, you believe the gospel and the spirit came and you received the spirit. Again, passive voice. God gave you his spirit and the spirit lives in you. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6, just a couple of verses over from where we just were. Because you are sons, so you belong to God. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit of the one who cries, who calls out, Abba. Father, you belong. As this ultimate freedom is this, that you, though you are a sinner, God has brought you near and you belong to him. Do you just let your mind set on that concept that for those of us led by the Spirit, God owns us. We belong to him. He is ours and we are his. There's not a a situation you faced in your life outside of his sovereign control. There's not a a scenario that you could come about that is going to surprise him or that's going to put you in a place of having to fend for yourself or work for his favor. There's not a financial cliff that you could go off that's going to change this reality at the end of the day. You belong to the living king. There's not a medical diagnosis in the world that can separate you from the reality that he belongs to you and you belong to him. There's not a a relational distance that you could uh, uh, be in contact with, with your dad or with your mom or in in your family that is going to separate you from that love. And no matter what's going on in your world, you belong to him. I hope that you take great delight and I hope that that delight does not happen here on Sunday mornings and then all week long you struggle to believe that. Because it's a beautiful thing when Monday morning you wake up and your feet hit the floor and you've got a big week ahead of you and every step you take on every sidewalk and up the steps and into your cubicle and as you are driving your car around constantly you are setting your mind on this truth I belong to God and he belongs to me that is a work of grace that he has accomplished and I am free I am free to love him and I am free to, to grow in what he is calling me to do alright so this is true, spirit-led freedom. It does not put us in a position where we say, well, now that I'm, I'm free, I can live however I want. No, quite the opposite. Look what it does. It governs or it limits, okay? So you, my brothers, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Do you do that? I mean, over the course of these last years, let me ask you this question. In the last year, in the last two years, in the last five years, has your freedom produced more indulging in gray areas in your life? More choices where you're saying, I have freedom? Let me me throw some litmus tests out there for you. If you find yourself saying about the thing that you do, about the thing that you long to do, what's wrong with it? If you find yourself saying, Bible doesn't forbid this. If you find yourself saying, uh, this is my freedom. If your focus in freedom is on you and not the body of believers. If you find yourself saying, my brother should not be tripped up by this freedom I have. He shouldn't be worried about me. She shouldn't be worried about what I'm doing with my life. Just let them focus on themselves. They shouldn't worry about me. And if you find yourself saying with your freedom, hey, look, does the, Bible, the Bible doesn't say anything. The Bible doesn't say that it's wrong. Uh, the Bible doesn't forbid this. This is my freedom. This is my right. If you find yourself saying this shouldn't trip them up, you may be using your freedom on you and not be giving it as a gift to the people around you. Be careful. There's a warning in here. In fact, a command. And the one command in here is this. Serve one another in love. Use your freedom for the people around you. And so let me ask you this question. Maybe over the last five years or one year or two months, your spirit-led freedom has been saying this. "Is, Is there anything praiseworthy in this thing that I'm doing? Maybe your spirit-led freedom is beginning to say, does the Bible commend this to me? Does it teach me that this is necessary? Maybe you find yourself saying, what is my responsibility to the body? What is my service to others around me? And maybe you find yourself saying like Paul did in Romans chapter 14, If it's going to cause someone else to trip up, I'm not even going to go there. It's not edifying. It's not helpful. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 14 through 17. Listen to what Paul says, and he's teaching the church at Rome. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, this is Romans 14, verses 14 through 17. As one who is in the Lord Jesus I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean let or then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so, spirit-led freedom limits itself, and it is governed by love for others. Man, I want us to be a church where we have freedom to do and to go and to approve. And, and when the reality is we don't approve of that which tears down. In, in this passage back now in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says the end result of all of us saying, I have freedom to do this. Where does the Bible condemn it? I have my, my freedoms. The end result is that we begin to, to devour one another. We eat each other up with the way that that we live, and with the things we approve. We start creating competitions and difficulties, and we're going to look at the work of the flesh in just a minute. And so, here's the question for me. I need to ask it for me. What has my freedom produced in the body over the course of recent days? Is my freedom producing unity? Is my freedom producing what is commanded here, service in love? Is my freedom producing encouragement? Or is my freedom really been just really aimed at me? And it's really about what I want to do and and how I and how I want to live. So he continues on and says, Look, if you are led by the Spirit, your freedom is not going to you're not going to let your freedom produce trouble in the church. It's just not going to happen. And so if your freedom is producing trouble in the church, then either God is going to teach you, right, or he's going to discipline you, or you're going to need to be converted to Christ to understand your role in the church. But we're not going to continually use our freedom on ourselves; It'll never happen. So he continues to say, okay, but here here are these, why do we even have these sinful motives and, and actions to begin with? So we continue on. If we are led by the Spirit, number two, Our sinful motivations, desires, and actions will be identified. Do you know what your sinful motivations, desires, and actions are really all about? Why they're there? Well, he he unpacks the works of the flesh. And the flesh is what you were born into this world with. It is your own desire to have pleasure, to experience what this world has to offer, to save yourself, to keep God out of your life, to make idols. That's what the flesh is. All of us have the flesh within us, and we will not completely be uh, done with the flesh until we see God in heaven one day. Finally, we'll be freed forever from the flesh at that moment. You'll live with the flesh in you your whole life. Isn't that what this is saying? There's a conflict. So I say, live by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the two are in conflict. Now, this is a crass example, but I use it nonetheless. It's as if you were born into this world with a dog, and that dog's going to be with you all of your life, right? And so when we are young, before we know Christ, we feed the dog. What I like, what I want, the direction I want to go. And that dog grows up. We're going to come back to that example in a minute. Just realize that the flesh will always be with you, and it always runs contrary to God, and we have a healthy dog that we've been feeding from our birth that is our flesh. And, and that dog is fed by these sinful motivations and desires and actions. In fact, that is our sinful motivations, desires, and actions. All right. So uh, again, Keller helps us with some explanations of these words that describe our sinful actions in, per- in particular. all right? I'm going to read the list and stop once in a while. I'm going div- to divide this list up into just four categories for us, and I hope that's helpful. The acts of the sinful nature are, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Okay, guys, that describes sexual sin of all sorts. God designed sex only for marriage. Everything else is sin. Everything else is sin. So sexual immorality speaks of any sexual contact between unmarried people. Sin. Impurity speaks of unnatural affections. Any kind of homosexual sex. Sin. Okay? And lastly, debauchery speaks of unrestrained or uncontrolled or just ugly sexual practices. And so Paul is just saying, guys, it's obvious that any kind of sexual experience, whether it's from a computer screen, whether it's uh, somebody you're dating, whether it's somebody, any kind of sexual experience outside of the bonds of marriage is sin. See, God knows what's best for us. And as the God of this universe, he brought Eve to Adam and said, now this is good. I want you two to enjoy sex, and, and it's going to be for you two only. So it's not that God has somehow withheld pleasure. He wants to increase and make sex its best. But every place we turn, we see it twisted and torn and, and battered. And so we have to realize that any kind of sex outside of marriage is sin, period. Number two, that's sexual sin. The next one we see is religious sin. You see what we have here is idolatry and witchcraft. That's sin. Idolatry is a counterfeit for God. So we, we literally have things that we've made with our hands that we would worship. Witchcraft is a counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. And so we want to see the spirit world show acts of power. Ironically, this is in the midst of you and me trying to save ourselves with our works, which is me counterfeiting my actions for Jesus' actions. So do you see what's happening here? idolatry is a counterfeit for God the Father. My actions, trying to save myself, is a counterfeit for God the Son. And witchcraft is a counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the act of the flesh is to try to replace him anywhere we can. It's a work of the flesh. The next is eight words tied together which all speak of relational brokenness. And there is... The working of the, of the flesh in relational brokenness, all right? And I'm going to work through the words, and I'm going to actually put them in a different order. I hope you don't mind. They make sense to me, and if they don't make sense to you, you can go back to, of course, you know, this is an inspired order, so I'm not trying to say I'm improving on it. I'm just trying to categorize it for us. Relational sin. Number one, selfish ambition. That is... I have sin in myself where I compete against others. They may or may not know that I'm competing against them. And what I want to do is I want to compare myself to others and I want to compare myself to others in a favorable light. And so my selfish ambition is to say there is something in me better than something in others and I can feel good about me. That is a working of my flesh. Envy. That one's pretty simple to define. I want what you have. Jealousy. This is energy that comes from a hungry ego. I want my story to be told louder than your story. I want my story to be recognized by others, and I don't really care if your story is recognized by others. I, ha- I want myself to be promoted and my ego to burn bright, and I don't really care about your, your story. And so jealousy is energy that comes from this hungry ego, hatred. Hatred is me being adversarial. It, it's me relating to other people with, with an... I am, constantly annoyed by them. They are people I try to avoid, right? And so I have this ongoing relational brokenness with them that I'm not trying to repair at all. I have hatred for them. And so these selfish attitudes then give way to some selfish actions, all right? Here's four more words coming your way that describe the action a little bit more. There's discord discord. Uh, in my flesh, I become argumentative, and especially in areas not related to the gospel. So in the, in the area of the gospel, we must be correct. We must have truth. But in areas of preferences and convictions, I am led to pick fights with others. I'm led to try to win the day. I'm left to try to make my point. I want you to see that I'm right and you're wrong, and there are a myriad of examples of things that really, honestly, are just opinions and convictions, but my selfish nature takes and makes them discord. And I live with broken relationships in the church. Fits of rage. What want to say about that? Outbursts of anger. Dissensions. That is, broken relationships with other people, or between people, that I have run out of energy to even begin to bring peace to or to solve. I just, just, there's dissensions. There are people with... I have a current, we would say, I have a current beef with them and uh, my flesh wants to make it an act of the flesh and not deal with it. And lastly, and largely, factions. That is broken relationships between groups of people or between parties of people. There's this mindset... And there's the that mindset. Neither of them really impact the gospel, but they are opinions and convictions that have divided people needlessly, and we live with this act of the the flesh in our midst, and we take a step back and say, well, in those eight areas, broken relationships in the church, you know, I'm just not worried about it. I'm not doing anything about it. That's the work of the flesh. And the last, well, and let me just say this. Can I, can I just draw, a, in a, can I just flesh that out a little bit? Let's say that I'm a fits of anger kind of guy. And so I have just times where I just go off the handle and I just scream and yell. Sometimes it's at home. Usually it would be at home. But sometimes it happens at church. Sometimes it happens to you. Sometimes it happens between you and me and I'm with you. And I just, man, I just flip out for a minute and I have to make my point. You know, I've got fits of rage. And, And all of us will sometimes fall into a sin, right? We need to confess that and turn from it. But when it becomes the way you live your life, that's when it becomes dangerous and problematic. When you stop fighting to overcome. When you won't get victory over it. In fact, if you look at what paul says here in galatians he says the acts of the sinful nature are you know envy drunkenness orgies and the like i warn you listen to these words he's using as i did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of god well i've given myself over you might say to fits of rage and i'm not even fighting against it anymore Okay, This isn't saying if you've ever had an angry bur- outburst, you won't go to heaven. It's not saying that. It's saying if you stop fighting against the sin in your life and accept it as a part of who you are, and that's just the way, the general pattern and direction of your life, you're going to keep going that way, it is evidence to people that you're not regenerate. Let me put it another way. You don't have spiritual life. Let me put it another way. The spirit is not operative in your life. Let me put it another way, you don't belong to God. Let me put it another way, you are not in the kingdom. And so his point by giving us this acts of the sinful nature is to help us see that if there is some act of the sinful nature and we just say, that's just the way I am. I give in. I'll fight in this area of jealousy because I don't want to be jealous, but I've stopped fighting in this area of of fits of rage. I can't do it. And Paul is saying, um, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, well, I fight in the area of fits of rage, but um, I, I am really encumbered by the sexual immorality thing. you're going to have to fight. And you're going to have to have victory. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. We've talked about three categories. Let's go to the fourth category now. Okay, the factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And this is saying, look, um, I'll just use the, the term substance abuse. If you're a substance abuser... Uh, the word drunkenness there means if you drink to get drunk, if you regularly have given yourself over to alcohol use, that is an inappropriate place to be for a child of God. No drunkenness. The word orgy there has nothing to do with sex. It has to do with you go to drunken parties where you know substance abuse is going to be the thing they do there, and you go there to get drunk or to be controlled by another substance other than the Holy Spirit. Sin. Sin. If that's your life, right, if, if you are struggling in one of those four areas, either the area of sex or religion, you have tried to give counterfeits to God, or if you are struggling in the area of relationships and you've given yourself over, or if you're struggling in the area of substance abuse and you have given in in those areas, we are not here to condemn you. We are here to say to you, your freedom is not being used in the way that it ought to be used. That is to serve the church in love and serve others with care. We want to warn you before it's too late that this scripture makes it very clear that that those who continue in that way of life and and who who give themselves over to it and stop the fighting to, to take care of or to put to death the workings of the flesh, there is a devastating future and even a devastating present in your life. So not only do we identify these sinful motivations and desires and actions, but we also crucify them. that's verse 24. Do you see that? Verse 24 says, uh, uh, "Those who belong to Christ Jesus, oh man, that is the." That is the compelling and driving concept of Galatians. Do you belong to Christ Jesus? If you belong to Christ Jesus, then with your freedom, you are not tempted to say, Jesus did this, I'm going to live however I want. No. You are saying, praise be to the Savior who has made me right in his sight, and with my freedom, I will crucify the workings of the flesh in my life. I'm going to make no ground for them to be fertile in. I am going to systematically dismantle everything in my life that would build up a place for an idol. I am going to crucify my flesh. Romans chapter 6 says, I am going to mortify the flesh. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and 7, Jesus says, take Drastic measures to overcome the sin patterns in your life. Drastic measures like cutting off hands and plucking out eyes, if necessary. I don't necessarily commend that to you. But I'm saying he says take drastic steps to overcome sin. And then Romans says take drastic steps. And it's as if we have these two dogs and there's this flesh dog and now we've got this spirit dog. We're going to talk about the spirit dog in a minute. And he is saying, starve flesh dog to death. I like dogs. I don't want you to starve any dogs to death, but you get the illustration here, all right? He is saying, do what's necessary to make that dog's strength diminish. Be controlled by the spirit and not by the flesh. So we we put out there these sinful, uh, the the acts of the sinful nature so that we can see we need to crucify those things. But it's not enough to just say, I'm not going to do those acts anymore. Each of us needs to go through and ask, why do I do those acts? Why are you sexually immoral? Is it because you believe it's your right? Is it because you're You believe pleasure is your God? Is it because you think God shouldn't have control over that? Listen, if you're sexually immoral because you don't like God's plan for sex, can I just say to you, that's you saying, I need to be converted to Christ? If you are ongoingly sinning in this area and at the end of the day your reason for that is that you can find enough people in the world who agree with you that God shouldn't care about your sexual habits? If that's where you're really at in your life, can I just say to you, he really does care and he really is sovereign and if you name the name and say the spirit lives in you, then you are glad to submit to the one who designed sex for you. And you are glad to say this is going to be difficult but I am going to factor out every. I'm going to dismantle the, the altar of idolatry in my life in these four areas of the, the, uh, the workings of the flesh. I'm going to just dismantle them. And, and if you fail in the area of, of your tongue and you're asking why? Well, because I want to control. But why? Because I don't trust God enough. Why? Because I'm, I'm concerned. Maybe I've done so much that I'm far from him, or maybe he's not really loving. And we grow. And we see that these, motivations, these actions have motivations deep in your heart and deep in my heart that put me on the seat, and they make me the king, and they say to God, I will rise, and I will do it my way. And the beauty of the Spirit is He gives you freedom to stop saying that and to start trusting that God really does love you. We need to continue on because we want to be led by the Spirit. And there are are, are numerous fruit that are uh, described here that should be true of your life and mine if we are. That is, uh, you are free and you don't have to prove or earn God's favor. And with your freedom... You are allowing the spirit to control your life, and these things are happening in you. All right? Number one, love is happening in you. Love is service aimed at other people. And it is not dependent on what they bring to you. Do you love? Now, love is not doing nice things for people. I see bumper stickers all the time. Practice, random acts of kindness and love. Jesus didn't practice any acts of uh, random kindness. He didn't. Do you know that? Actually, um, when people came and said, "Will you please heal me? He did heal sometimes, and other times he didn't heal. He did healings to prove that he is the son of God. Right? And so sometimes he said, no, I'm not going to do just what you want me to do. I'm not going to go and, and, and accomplish just what you want me to accomplish. Jesus' love was shown not in that he did random things for everybody and was always nice to everybody. Jesus' love for others in that it was shown in that he was constantly committed to the will of God, even when other people wanted him to do nice things for them. Will you, uh, will you make us some more food? Jesus said, I've already proven that I'm the Messiah. Tell you what, I'm focused on the will of my Father. Uh, You're going to need to eat my body and drink my blood if you want to follow me. And so what did he do? He said, the the people asked for a nice, more food. And Jesus said, "Um, you've misunderstood. I didn't come just to make food for everybody. I came to be food. I came so you would take my life into you. I came so that the Spirit would live in you. I came to reproduce myself in you. And so if you thought that I came to just do nice things and be nice, you really misunderstood me. I've come to do the will of the Father. And I'm committed to that even when I get misunderstood. Even when people hate me because I won't make more food or because I won't do a new trick or because I won't show more power. Jesus was committed to love by doing the will of the Father for everybody. Joy. A delight and contentment with God. Joy is you being glad in God. It's you setting your mind on that regularly because the circumstances of this life regularly want to sap your joy. And so you're setting your mind regularly on who God is, and you're rejoicing in who God is. Just for his beauty, just for his worth the opposite of that is that you become happy when God does something good for you only okay so there's nothing wrong with being happy when God blesses you of course that's natural but 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 your joy is far from you and gone if you enter into some kind of a persecution or a test or a trial you you can't find joy anywhere and and that would be like the opposite of course peace a confident A confidence and a rest in God's sovereignty, in God's wisdom. That is, you can't see what's going to happen next, but you know God has it under control. He's got things taken care of. So there's a peace within you, even when you're facing very stormy waters, because you know that God can be trusted. Patience. An ability to face difficulty adversity, without freaking out. May I say freaking out? Okay. You're not freaking out because you have patience to endure the conflict. The, the opposite of this is resentment. That is, the stormy waters come, and rather than t- uh, bear under them, the natural inclination of your heart is to start saying, God must not be good. God's not here. I'm angry at God. I resent him. Because look, here I am in this situation, in this trouble, this problem in my life, and look what he's done to me. And the fruit of the Spirit that is patience, gone. Right? fruit of the Spirit of kindness, a deep inner security, which serves others practically in a way that makes you vulnerable. All right? Kindness is a deep inner security from you because of the working of the Spirit, which serves others practically in a way that makes you vulnerable. You keep giving. You keep showing gentleness. You keep showing kindness to them. And the opposite of this is envy. Or let me say it this way, serving others because of the good that you get out of it or the feeling that you get out of it. Goodness. You're the same person wherever you are. You don't have a church vocabulary and then a work vocabulary. Now, if you're an engineer, you do. All right, we get that. But I'm talking about ways that you talk, innuendo. I'm talking about stuff you say that you know is inappropriate. I'm talking about trying to impress people here at church with one side of your life and then trying to impress people at your job with another part of your life and you're living with these inconsistencies. Goodness is the character of God in you all the time. It's integrity. So you're the same person in every situation. Faithfulness. an utter, uh, utterly reliable and true to your word. And and I would just underscore this part of faithfulness, okay? Courage. And what I mean by that is you are not just a friend who shows up to do and be and be nice. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And at some point, if you are faithful, you have to speak truth and love to your friend. And you will not let fear. Stop your faithfulness in your friendships. You are utterly reliable and true to your word, and you have courage. Gentleness. Um, You're self-forgetful. Forgetting about your needs, forgetting about your way, forgetting about your thoughts and opinions. You have a humility about you and self-control. Now, self-control is not the same as control freak. That's different. Self-control is being committed over the course of time to pursue God's agenda, the important things, not being tossed to and fro, right, by the urgent. So you set your course of life on what you know is important, and the urgent things get attention after the important things get done. This is what, uh, well, let me just say this, that, that... that you know the intended outcome if you're a control freak and you are trying to force everyone in your life to do it your way. And that is the antithesis to self-control. That is not self-control given to God. It's self-control for you, all right? And so the fruit of the Spirit, these things are evident. Well, who lives like this? I just described Jesus. Literally, I have, because the working of the Spirit is to make Jesus in you. That's what the Spirit does. Who lives like this? Well, the person who is free. The person who is free and led by the Spirit. We don't have to be afraid in the church that people are going to take this doctrine that everything of salvation is from Christ and they're going to abuse it. We don't have to be afraid of that. Why? Because if the Spirit is really leading our hearts, then we are going to produce spiritual fruit. What are some things we know for sure is true about fruit? Number one thing we know is true true about fruit. It happens gradually. You will never stand... especially in Wisconsin, at a tree and watch fruit grow. No one does that. And if you're in your life going, when will I produce some spiritual fruit? Or if you have people in your life, listen, if you're a parent, don't rush the spiritual fruit of your kid. Don't stand there and examine them every day and tell them where you don't see spiritual fruit. No one does that. That is not healthy. I was at a golf course many years ago. I don't even remember the the reason I was there, but I was in Orlando, Florida, and I can remember picking an orange off the tree after getting permission and eating it and thinking, this orange grew quietly on hole seven of some golf course over the course of time. No one noticed it. No one waited for it. No one coaxed it. It was, the, it was a matter of a gradual growth. And it is a beautiful thing when you and I produce fruit gradually. Secondly, we will produce certainly. It's for sure. This says that if the spirit is active in someone's life, fruit will be produced. That is, the character of Jesus will happen in your life if the Spirit is active in your life. And you will not be able to say, no, I'm I'm just not going to do that. I'm just not going there. If you're saying, I'm not going there, I won't make that sacrifice, I won't, it'll cost me too much, right? Can I say gently? Spirit may not be active in your life. We're at this place where he needs to get a hold of you at a deep level and shake your foundations to discipline you and say, I want he says, I want control of your life because my way is best for you and I love you so much that I can't watch you live life your way any longer. I can't watch you devour and destroy any longer. And so the spirit is at work. So it's gradual and it's certain and it's full what i mean by that is the nine characteristics of the fruit of the spirit are not separate fruit of the spirit you can't say legitimately i have eight of the fruit of the spirit but uh, of the fruits of the spirit but i really i'm not good with the faithfulness thing or you know the one that's i'm not real great with the patience thing right because it's not fruits of the spirit If you are a healthy tree and your roots are going down into Jesus, this says all of the fruit of the Spirit will be produced in your life. So it's a full thing. It's happening at every level of your life. Now now listen, because you're made in the image of God, some of us are better at loving than others. Some of us are better at patience than others. And there's an area of your life where you are naturally producing some fruit or you can see some natural fruit because... You're kind of, you're like God. You, you image him. But if the Spirit's at work in your life, then all nine of these things are happening. They are coming out because they are the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, how can we say that our works don't win God's favor and not expect that we're going to lose control? Because the Holy Spirit is at work in this place. The Holy Spirit is at work in this place saying we all have freedoms and liberties and we're all going to limit them because we're going to serve each other. And the Holy Spirit is at work in this place and we could dive into this flesh, but instead we're going to identify the workings and the actions of the flesh so that we can crucify them. And and we can say that because the, the working of the Spirit is so profound that he is producing in our life the fruit of the Spirit And that production of the fruit of the Spirit is an encouragement to you. It's an assurance to you. It's a reminder to you that you belong to God and that he belongs to you. He is at work in your life, making Jesus formed in you. And if he's not, we're not condemning you. We're saying this morning, come to Jesus. Don't try harder. Don't adopt a new way of thinking about religion. Don't make much of yourself. Come to Jesus. Repent. Place him on the throne of your life. And let the working of the Spirit move in you to make you look like Jesus. We are not a church where we're going to say, this is the external, the way we all need to look. Work toward that. We're not going to do that. We're going to trust that the Spirit is at work in your life. And he is going to make you. Look like Jesus. you stand as we close in prayer? Lord, we are so thankful that it is not about what a church or an organization or a group can produce in somebody. That's not it. And we're so thankful that with this freedom, none of us has to freak out that somebody's going to run away and live some horrible life because the Bible, you teach us so clearly that if the Spirit's at work, there is going to be... Limits on our freedom. And there is going to be the crucifixion of our flesh. And there is going to be the production of fruit that comes to you, from you, to each one of us. And so we commit each person in this place, whether it is that they need instruction, or whether it is that they need chastening, or whether it is that they need conversion or whether it is that they just needed to come today and be reminded that they belong to you and you belong to them. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name.